0: Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Tonight, what I would like to share with you comes out of three things that have been going on in my own life, in my own thinking, and what God has been saying to me over this last season. One is pastoral. One is deeply personal. And a third, a prompting that I feel God has been trying to get my attention over recently. They initially may seem somewhat random, but hopefully within about 35, 40 minutes, they won't seem so random, but but who knows. The first example of these comes out of a number of one-on-ones with people, either pastorally, personally, or with friends. And when a problem or a difficulty they are facing as a person or as an individual was discussed and the solution to that challenge, the solution to that problem was to go to that person and ask them, can we talk or can we put it right or can we have a discussion around the disconnect that has happened here? The answer has always been, goodness me, I could never do that. Virtually every time, I'm saying virtually because I think it's virtually 100% but I never want to say that. But really, 99 times out of 100, no, I could never go and talk to that person about it because, oh, I would feel so uncomfortable. A problem, a solution, but a solution rejected. Secondly is deeply personal. In light of the fact that over the last two to three weeks that we have been back to the UK for Hope's dad's funeral, my father-in-law, and in the midst of incredible sadness and loss I have found myself on a number of occasions saying that in the midst of sadness that there has been a lot to be thankful for he was 84 he had loved Jesus he was loved by his family he was a good man he was well loved by his neighbors and his surrounding farmers but I found myself also adding to the fact that it was good because there would be no family arguments, that there would be no sibling rivalry, that the family got on really well and everything would be really good in that sense. To understand the context of my own upbringing, when throughout my late father's lifetime, I am the youngest of three, he always instilled, he always required of us as his children that after his and our mother's day, that we would never fall out, that we would not become estranged, and if we ever did argue, that we would sort it out immediately. It was something that he held with an incredible high value. He was a good man, he was a godly man, and he insisted to us as children that we did not fall out when we got older. He and my mum have passed away, we have never fallen out, we have never argued, because something that was instilled into us by a godly father reaped a harvest. Now I have said to my children exactly the same thing. After my day and after your mother's day, you will not argue, that you will work it through, you will sort it out, whatever it takes, you will do it, and time will only tell on that one. The third comes out of my own personal walk and worship over the last season. Probably, no, without doubt, because of my age, when I worship, I find myself singing songs and worshiping through hymns that I learned, I don't know, 40, 50 years ago. Some of them, you will, some of you will know them all. Some of them, you'll never, ever have heard of them. But the example of one that I have recently been singing a lot in my own private worship is an old hymn simply entitled Trust and obey. And of those of you who are a certain generation, you could sing it to me now. The chorus goes like this. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. The simplicity of these words are both clear and yet profound. I believe that frequently I, you, we can complicate our walk with God when what is required that we simply trust and obey. Believe what he has said and do what he requires. Not very profound, but nevertheless true. Because so often the way to move forward in God is to trust what he has said and do what he has said. Just do what we're told. That sometimes is not very millennial. It's not a very nice message for some people to, hold, to, to believe. But when he has said it, that we need to obey, and very often, progress, however we define that in the Christian life, boils down to that, that we do what he says, and we obey him. So with all this going on in the background, and feeling something of a stirring in my own heart, I'd like us to unpack together this evening the importance, not of our relationship with others, but the importance of our relationship with others when things go wrong, when things break down, when they are in need of restoration. And having said this, I imagine immediately many of us have in our mind someone who perhaps we don't have a very good relationship with. We can all think of people that we have an uncomfortable relationship with and that perhaps we haven't done too well. So without feeling guilt, without feeling any condemnation, let's be honest, most of us can think of people in our life or in our sphere of influence that we perhaps don't get on too well with and we need to put something right. So rather than us feeling guilty, let's realize that we're all in the same boat together. People often ask me, so how do you, Chris, get on with your family? I said, well, I get on well with anybody that lives 18,000 kilometers away. So it's pretty easy. Relationships bring us great joy and often deep distress. The people who love us the most very often hurt us the most. People who should know better don't. And those who you'd hope would think before they spoke didn't. It's a way of life. It is easy to understand how offenses happen. An imperfect world, imperfect people, imperfect words are a recipe for offense. But knowing how it happens and the fact that we do get offended doesn't make any offense easier to deal with. The hurt is often deep and indescribable. And not for one moment are we this evening when we talk about this thing, realizing we're not going to say that it is anything less than painful and hellish what can be afflicted upon us. And very often one's response can be to act as if nothing has happened, to ignore it so it will go away. And the last hope of a hurt person in my pastoral experience is that somehow it'll just disappear and go away. In over 35 years of pastoral ministry, I have never known any hurt to go away that has really offended us and hurt us deep down. But still we choose to ignore it and hope it will repair itself when it comes our way. You know, we can hide things, we can plant things, we can put, as it were, hurt subterrain for 20 years and something will come along, an event or somebody will say something and if we haven't dealt with it, that event or that person can trigger it off again and all that hurt floods back. It will not repair itself because that is not how the Bible says it will repair itself. But now as Christians who have handed over the rulership of our life to another we do not have the option of ignoring relationships nor can we rewrite uncomfortable biblical narratives to suit ourselves or to fit in with our own life narrative one of the risks of take of one takes in addressing such a basic christian subject as this is that all we've heard it all before, but in truth, that doesn't matter if we have heard it before, because relationships are so important in our life that if we do not know how to manage them, navigate them, and work them through, they will bring us so much distress. Relationships are crucial. First, our relationship with God, and secondly, our relationship with other people. And if we need to hear a message 50 or 100 times in order to respond how God requires us to respond, not how our flesh or our self want to respond, then we need to keep on hearing it. Now we cannot control what the other person in a relationship does, but we can control what we do. The Bible has a lot to say about relationship with other people. So this is going to be our starting point. And there are three short passages that again will be familiar to all of us that I want us to read. Two in Matthew and one in Mark. And the first one is in Matthew 5.21 says this. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, Anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which basically means a disparaging idiot or just a fool, is answerable to the court and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift." (coughs) Mark 11 says these words, and whenever you stand praying, if you find that you carry something in your heart against another person, release him and forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also release you and forgive you of your faults. But if you will not release forgiveness, don't expect your Father in heaven to release you from your misdeeds. And then Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that in every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. We could have also included the Lord's Prayer, the very words of Christ. Forgive us this day as we forgive those <coughs> who have trespassed or sinned against us. These passages are pretty plain to understand, but they are difficult to practice. This aspect of the Christian gospel, this aspect of the Christian walk, is probably one, if not the hardest, of truths that we are called to follow. Because it requires making ourselves vulnerable by saying, I have been hurt by you, or I know that I have hurt you. For many of us, this somehow doesn't come easily. And we'd rather say, especially when we've been hurt, I'd rather say, hey, I'm okay, as opposed to admitting to anyone that we have been hurt. So to begin with, I want us to look and unpack initially what our response and reaction could look like when hurt or offense comes our way. Firstly, somewhat a grasp of the obvious, but it says this, people and Christians will hurt and offend us. T. Austin Sparks, a Baptist preacher from London in the 1920s and 1930s says this, if you get upset, offended, and go off and sulk, and nurse your grievance, you will die. The issue is not will we be hurt, it's what we do with it when we are hurt. Due to the fact that we live in a fallen world, this will happen, sometimes a person acts with malicious intent, desiring to hurt us because they don't like us, or other times people will hurt, will hurt us without realizing it because they didn't mean to, but nevertheless, the pain is still there. It's not, I believe, by accident or coincidence that in Matthew 5, that first reading we read together, the word brother and sister is used four times. It is not a coincidence. It's family It's those around us, those whom we know, those whom we do life with, those who do church with, are the ones who are most likely to offend us. And the use of the phrase brother and sister is because we should sadly expect it. But if we live in some utopian mindset that says, well, this shouldn't happen, we will be ultimately deluded. I know that does not make it easier, but we should expect it because we then know that is part of life. It's not make it forgivable, but we do need to know how to handle it. Secondly, examine one's heart to inquire whether we have been genuinely offended. We'll come back to this later on. It's not unknown that when I sit with people and they tell me how they have been offended and hurt by someone with what someone has said, and they say, well, I have been so hurt, I have been so offended, they shouldn't speak to me like that. But then, on asking them the question, what was said? Unspoken, of course, I actually agree with what they have been told about them. And sometimes, people tell us truth and we don't want to receive it, and we take it as offense. And I think that we need to take a little bit of time in our life to realize, is that something that somebody said about me true? Or are they just being offensive in those situations? I would like to has, throw it out there that if something is said to us with love, kindness, and with grace, I'm not sure that it fits into this category. Truth is completely different to offense. And we need to be careful that we just don't get a little bit, oh, antsy when we hear some truth about ourselves that perhaps could well be accurate that we, we push it aside And we take offense rather than learning from a teaching moment. Thirdly, when others hurt us, our spiritual maturity will be revealed. We will discover how real our relationship with Jesus Christ is when our feelings get hurt. And especially within a family setting. We can be the greatest. We can be avid in worship. We can be a wonderful friend. The most supportive parent. The best child or a sibling, anyone can want. But when our feelings are hurt, what we do at that moment and immediately after will reveal the reality of our relationship with Christ. People have one of two reactions when their feelings get hurt. Firstly, they either deal with it before the Lord or they destroy themselves and they destroy other people through retaliation. No one is saying No one is saying it is easy, but it is an indicator of where we are in our walk with God. And I don't like this phrase, but I'm going to use it. What our spiritual maturity level is like when we are offended. I'm not sure that this is the right place to say it, so therefore I'm going to say it. Having been hurt, there is absolute no merit in saying, that didn't hurt me. There is nothing spiritual about not saying you know something, that did hurt me. I do need to go away and process that. There is nothing super spiritual by saying, no, 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 that didn't hurt me. I think that's actually lying. We need to actually accept. And when people say, are you hurt? That the answer is yes, I am, but I'm gonna work it through. It is actually an immaturity to deny the truth. Fourthly, when offended, his grace is sufficient for us in such circumstances. When God says to Paul in Corinthians that his grace is sufficient for him, what this really means is that when we are at our wit's end, when we really can't cope anymore, God comes to the fore. And if you are like me, when I find myself in such situations, I want God to come in and his sufficiency of grace, I want him to change the circumstances. But virtually every time he says, I am with you in such circumstances and I want to change you. I want to change your reaction. I want to change how you think. So in the context of what we're looking at, that means that God's grace is sufficient to help us survive I use that word advisedly, survive and come through any hurt, offense, or pain that may have been afflicted on us by others. His power, his word, his presence, no matter how terrible the pain may be, is sufficient to bring us through if we respond according to the way that his word has laid down. Fifthly, if you aren't the offended one, then don't pick up somebody else's offense. This happens as if we don't have enough of our own problems. Some of us become offended by picking up someone else's offense. Grace is available for the one who is offended, not for the person who goes out to bat for them. We take up the cause of our poor brother and sister who we think have been offended. This is not what Paul is saying in Romans when he writes, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Let me caution us here. We seldom know the circumstances. We seldom know the full circumstances surrounding any given situation. If you do not know literally everything for yourself and if you are not directly involved, leave it alone. Comfort, pray, exhort, encourage them to keep going, encourage them to get get it sorted, but don't pick up Someone else's offense because it will kill you and you will end up bitter and angry. I love the way, first of all, the King James says it in Proverbs. Didn't you love this? He that passeth by and meddleth, what does meddleth mean? I don't really know. And meddleth with strife belonging not to him is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. The message says it like this You grab a mad dog by the ears. When you butt into a quarrel, that's none of your business. Sometimes we become offended by how things appear, not how they actually really are. We seldom take the time to worry about all the facts, ask the right questions, or give the benefit or the doubt, or go seek the other person involved in that situation. We can receive offense when none was ever intended. You know, Proverbs says this, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. One of the things that (laughs) Hope and I, but especially Hope, had to learn early on in ministry is that you may find this hard to believe, but people get upset with you when you're a pastor. People get upset with you when you say things. People get upset with you when you lead in any form or shape. And she had to learn early on in our marriage not to get offended on my behalf, because she would have been offended all the time. In any size church, you get people who don't like what you've said, or don't like what you've done, or the, what, don't like what you wear, or don't like the cut of your hair. I don't know. If she had picked up every time people were cross with me, she'd have been a basket case. And she had to learn, you know, that's how he's going to sort that out. His grace is sufficient for him. Or that person, if they're offended, they will sort it out. She had to learn not to get offended on my behalf. And can I say this as a just throw this out there? If you are friends with people, if you are a husband or a wife, you know, sometimes the greatest love you can show to someone is to say, you know, don't get upset, don't get offended. Don't pick up somebody else's offense. You know something? You could be wrong. Say it at a distance if you're a married man, but say it. Sometimes the greatest love that we can show people is by saying, please, don't pick up that offense. God is dealing with that person or that situation over there, and it's not really anything to do with you. So having acknowledged that relationships get messy, we get hurt, Others get hurt, we hurt others, and if we so choose to ignore what has taken place, we'll seldom ever be rectified. We do, however, in our hurt, have the opportunity to make a number of choices. The first one is what we do with offense is our choice. When we find ourselves in these situations, we can choose to be offended and we can choose to make a friend out of our hurt. We can feed it, we can take it out daily for walks, we can cuddle it, we can kiss it, we can take it on date nights, we can tell everybody about it, and we can let it ruin our lives. It can destroy us, and it will destroy others. And let's be honest, sadly across Christendom, so many lives have been damaged and destroyed by people who have taken offense and they have chosen not to deal with it in a biblical way. A root of bitterness can set in and if allowed to live will defile many and prove destructive to our own spirit. We can choose to be offended and retaliate or we can choose to live by the words of Christ and bring our hurts to him. And if the situation requires and there is genuine hurt, he will lead you to go to that person and talk to them in a gracious manner whilst seeking reconciliation And if it can be resolved, then thank you, Jesus. But you know, sadly, it doesn't always get resolved. The call for us is to be obedient. However, in such times, and maybe our our reconciliation is rejected, and this can happen, he will help us in the midst of those circumstances. He will help us show self-control. He will help us take it to the cross. He will help us let it go and help us navigate such situations. You know, I am interested by the words that we use in English that when we say, oh, I took offense, or someone took offense at what we're saying. We take offense, and I believe that therefore, in that sense, we have a choice in every situation, whether or not to get offended. No one can force offense on us. They can do wrong thing towards us, but they can't force an offense on us. We have to choose to take it or not. Proverbs says again, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. When do we last overlook offense rather than just get a little bit upset? Secondly, don't get offended by reading more into it than was meant. Please, can I take the risk of offending you and don't read any more into this than I'm going to say. You know, this usually happens when people are way too oversensitive and thin-skinned. And in my experience, this makes up many, many examples of what we call offense in the Christian body of Christ. It's not offense. It's sometimes people just being oversensitive None of us are like this, but often Christians can be the most easily offended in the world when in truth, we should be the least because our sins have been forgiven when we should have paid the price. He who should have been offended by our sins chose not to, not only not be offended, but to do something about it. And we who have the least to be offended about, now because of what Christ has done for us, sometimes end up being the most offended and thin-skinned. Let's be careful not to analyze the situation and fill in the blanks that possibly makes more of a situation that is actually there. Assume the best or innocent and proven guilty. Don't assume that another person has done something to hurt you. Maybe they were unaware of how they come across or whatever they did was offensive. Maybe they don't have a clue. You know, I'm sure that you don't know anybody like this. So these are just my friends and they're all from the Northern Hemisphere. You know, sometimes you get people that you look at them and they think it's the wrong way. And if you don't look at them, they get offended. So you end up deciding, do I look at them and get offended or I don't look at them and get offended? What does that even mean? And sometimes we can be so touchy. You know, I sometimes use the phrase, you know, you know touchy people, they sometimes need to be Touched. We need to be careful that we don't become oversensitive and look and see offense in everything when none of it was ever intended. Thirdly, don't go to others and complain about a situation. As of now, I am working on a theological basis for this, and I'm working on it really hard, and I think I am nearly there. But I believe that when you are offended... Or when we are hurt by someone and we go to someone else and share that great sign, share with that person, which can be a euphemism for just going and having a gripe, and we haven't been to the person that we believe has offended us, I believe that grace is off the table. And what's my foundational base, a biblical basis for that is because I believe we have not gone about it the way that the Bible has told us about it, to do it. All hinges on us being people that respond in a biblical manner. If you were hurt, absolutely. Go seek counsel without doubt. Go get people to pray for you. Get someone who can input you with wisdom and a biblical counseling, but those are not complaining. We all know the difference between the two. More often than not, somehow we find reason to talk to anyone other than the person that we should be talking to them. Rather than going to the source of the conflict, we all too quickly find ourselves complaining to someone else until we face the conflict at its core. By addressing the person we are hurt with or our actions have hurt, the issue will remain unsolved. So, so low to talk about a situation. So, as we start to bring this down for practical for all of us, how do we bring this to a place where we can make it real and acknowledge the teachings of Christ? And as we said earlier, the teachings of Christ are easy to understand, but they are difficult to practice. So I want us to go back to our first reading where we will see the words of Christ are deeply personal. It says these words, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who, tells or who says to a brother or sister, Raka answer is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your guilt. Rectifying such situations we find really are incredibly personal. And that's where I want to go for the next three or four minutes And part of the challenge of this verse that I've read is that we don't see the nuances of the Greek. The first verse of that passage that started off talks about you, we, all of us. We have heard, you have heard. And if you have done this, this will happen. But then it changes from the plural to the singular. And it says, If you have something against your brother, or vice versa, you need to go. The first verse is for the masses. The second one is for you and me. And this verse could easily read like this. You, plural, were all told and warned what would happen if you did this and called your brother a fool. But now I am telling you, singular as individuals, even if everything looks okay on the outside when it is not, but you know there is something wrong between you and a fellow believer, then you need to go and get it put right to the best of your ability. The nuances, the change, make it incredibly personal. I love how Max Lucado says, as far as I know, he says, this is the only time God tells you you can slip out of church early Apparently, he would rather to give you, rather for you to give your olive branch to someone than have your tithe. So as we bring this, again, practical for all of us, personally, I believe that here is the key to relationships. Here is the key to how we should navigate such difficult waters. And the, to see that that key is that it is intensely personal. Now, you can rightly say, and I can rightly reply, well, Chris, you don't know what's been done to me. Absolutely right. And the opposite is true. You don't know what I've been through. Absolutely true. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how hurt I was and by whom I was hurt. Absolutely true. And the, the post comes the same. But the reason I believe that Christ makes this personal is because firstly, the charge of Scripture is to us all, but we have to personally respond. It doesn't work on any other terms. If you choose not to respond, then that situation will not get resolved. No one else can do it for you. It will not go away. It will not evaporate. It will not disappear. It will still need to be dealt with. And the longer it takes to be dealt with, the more damaging actually it is. Secondly, and I think I've referred to this already, this the, probably the strongest reason it is deeply personal is because no one does know how badly we've been hurt. No one does know what has been done to us. No one does know the offense that has probably damaged us more than we would ever want to ever admit. And you know, in such circumstances, It is only you and the Holy Spirit that can really choose to do what needs to be done. Others who don't know can't do it for you. And this leads us into the third point. It has to be personal because we have to mean it and seek reconciliation. Sadly, I've seen so many people try and get reconciled with others, and they're doing it for their husband or for their wife or for their mother or their father. It doesn't mean anything to it, but for the sake of keeping the peace, they have gone and sought reconciliation. The truth is the external response has to reflect an internal reality. As I was working through today's message in my mind over the last couple of weeks, I wasn't sure how to do it or the best way to conclude because it's not an easy message. It's something that's been going, as I said, in my own heart and in my own life and in my own experience and from, for days I couldn't settle with any peace on how to conclude. I was on my way back from the UK and having been At the funeral, Hope stayed another week longer than I did. So I had all the time in the world to do absolutely nothing. It was wonderful. On such flights, I never watch films. I seldom listen to music. I usually sleep or I usually read. However, on the last flight from Hong Kong, I'd slept nearly the first one from London. So I decided to listen to some music. And with them being in New Zealand in the next few weeks, or they may even have arrived, I chose to listen to the eagles. You know what somebody said this morning? And I got so upset. I said, you probably haven't heard of the eagles. And they said, do you know what they said? I got offended. I didn't. They said, oh, my dad used to listen to them. (laughs) Wash your mouth out. I was was not offended. As I listened to their their classic song, if you haven't heard of the eagles, go and ask your dad. I was, I was listening to their classic song, Lying Eyes, and seldom have I known the Holy Spirit quicken my spirit the way he did in that moment. I probably would put it in the top 10 of he's ever done so in my life. The song, putting it politely, is about a person who's made a set of choices that on the one hand will make life safe for them, but compromised, comfortable, but compromised. And... Life is not going to be like it should be for this young person, but they have chosen a set of circumstances and, in, and because of the ch- choices that they have made, they find themselves in a sad and mundane relationship and they decide to alleviate this by pursuing a different pathway known to people around them. And then you hear this line. It says this, I guess... Every form of refuge has its price. By the late Glenn Frey and Don Henley. I guess every form of refuge has its price. Musicians, please, can you come and join me? I believe these are some of the most profound words, both of encouragement and challenge to us. When we find ourselves with a decision to be made or a response or a reaction to be decided upon, whatever we choose in that moment will set our life on a course that will either be good for us or it won't be good for us. It'll either bring us peace or it won't. It could end up ruining us and bringing even bitterness. To choose God and his ways as our refuge enables us to trust him more freely even when we don't really want to or we find it hard, even when to do so goes against everything that we want to do from a natural perspective. If we choose God and his ways as our refuge, as our defense, it means we do not need to fear situations. We do not need to fear people who would threaten us, or who would try to bully us, who would try to do things that would harm us, especially in some of the situations that we have talked about. We do not need to be scared of anybody or anything that would give us physical or spiritual abuse. There is no situation that we will ever face that is out of God's control. So the best place to be is right with him. It is a matter of trust and obey. And if you choose God's way, as a way of refuge and as a place of refuge, there is a price that will be paid. And it may be hard, but he will be with you because ultimately he has paid the price and he has set down how we should live. However, to choose, or I should say, Proverbs says these words, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower, the righteous run to it and are safe. However, to choose to take refuge in our own way of doing things, which may involve Choosing to ignore what he says is best for us. And therefore, our way of doing things will inevitably bring our own consequences, its own consequences. And if we in the whole area and arena of relationships choose not to take God as our refuge, then who knows the consequences? Our life will not be as peaceful, I believe, as God would have them be they would not be in a position of safety whatever comes our way. We make ourselves vulnerable to what can come because we have put ourselves outside the refuge of God. And I finish briefly with this quote. It says, faithfulness is not a matter of results. It is a matter of, of dependent obedience. God knows that you cannot control other people so he will not hold you responsible for the ultimate outcome of a conflict. If you have depended on him and have done your best to resolve a conflict in a loving and biblical manner, no matter how the situation turns out, you will have earned that marvelous accommodation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Friends, relationships for many of us are phenomenally raw. They are phenomenally dysfunctional. And some of those relationships that we find ourselves in have nothing to do with us. We, they are not our fault at all. But the way through them and the way to come out the other side is to choose His way as our refuge. My prayer for each and every one of us that is, that we will allow God through His Holy Spirit to speak to us afresh, to speak to us anew because He wants to put these things right. You know, relationships are key. It's all what God is about. And he has asked us to work out our relationships here on earth in a special way. And my prayer is that we will choose to do it his way. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.